So we're starting a series today about the lies of Satan and how to combat them with the truth of the gospel. So we're not uh, dwelling on lies just for the fun of it. We're dwelling on lies as a kind of enemy recon, right? Uh, Ephesians 5.11 says this. It says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Expose them. So that's what we're trying to do here. Expose the lies of Satan. Jenna and I used to live in a small house outside of Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, I kid you not, it was the floor plan was 530 square feet. That's like a Fox Chapel closet, right? Um, and uh, it, so we were like, everything was crammed in. We had all these careful storage solutions built up. Uh, the, the landlord called it her Mickey Mouse house, if that tells you anything. And the only redeeming quality of this house uh, was, Jenna would say there were no redeeming qualities, but the only, in my opinion, the only redeeming quality was that it had a basement that was equal to the size of the floor plan. So for a young couple, it actually came out to be about 1,060 square feet if you factored in the basement, right? Only problem was that this basement, this grand, glorious basement, was infested with these horrible little spiders everywhere you looked. Every dark corner, between every rafter, they were just like, you would see a whole pit of them just crawling up there. They would crawl, make their way up through the vents into the first floor and get into your shoes. They would crawl into the bed. It was absolutely horrible. Um, and I'm not usually afraid of spiders. I'm not an arachnophobic. Snakes are my thing. Um, why did I arm you with that? I do not know. Um, but, but this freaked me out. This just like, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. So you know what I did? I went to war. First, I took a weed whacker and I went to every single shrub, plant, or patch of grass around the house where flies and gnats and ants and termites might breed, um, and I cut off the enemy's supply lines. I called this my scorched earth policy. And then I, uh, I purchased the secret weapon. I don't know if any of you have the secret weapon. I got a flashlight, and then I got one of those handheld vacuum things. You know what I'm talking about? And I went down into the basement uh, with my secret weapon, and I exposed those unfruitful little works of darkness. Corner by corner, I shined my flashlight, and then I sucked them up until eventually the little plastic receptacle of my vacuum was like a little spider penitentiary where they were like crawling all over each other. Um, it was like a little commune or something like that. And to borrow from the words of our gospel reading, Luke 4.13, after that, they left me until an opportune time. <laughs> now, any ecologist worth her salt is going to tell you that spiders are, in fact, not pests. This particular breed of spider was not, uh, they didn't bite humans. Uh, actually, spiders, are they good or are they bad? They're good, right? Some of you are like, they're very bad. <laughs> spiders are good. They, uh, they eat termites and ants and other kind of problem things. Um, so I get it. Um, I am like a spider side uh, person, right? I've, I committed an atrocity. You can rebuke me after church or send an email to Alex, actually. Um, my metaphor has its limits. But 
this morning and in this series, we're not after spiders. Uh, we're out to expose a real pest, one who does not contribute anything to the ecosystem of this world except for horror and destruction and decay and despair. If you read through the Gospels, you'll find that long before Jesus opened his mouth to utter a single word of teaching, and he gave a lot of teaching, didn't he? Long before that, long before he fed any hungry people, and he fed a lot of hungry people, didn't he? Long before he healed any sick or raised any dead, we see him waging war against an axis of spiritual beings that the scriptures call the devil and his messengers. That's Revelation 12, 9. The scriptures teach that our problem is really threefold, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? A, we have corrupt hearts. Like I, as G.K. Chesterton once wrote into the London Times, they asked, what's the biggest problem in the world today? And he said, dear sirs, I am, right? That's, we are corrupt inside. And then we also live in a corrupt society that drags us down. Anyone who's in high school uh, or college or has ever been on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, uh, or Twitter can tell you this. Uh, the, many of the, way, the things that are swirling on our society are absolutely toxic and corrupting us from outside. But there's also, don't worry, it gets worse. There's a, there is a demonic enemy. There are spiritual beings who hate the creator. And what they want to do to get at the creator is mar his image, right? If you, want to make, if you want to make a man or a woman really angry, get at their children. That's what the devil's out to do. C.S. Lewis famously, and I'm sure many of you have, written, have read this, uh, he famously wrote this, this book. Uh, it was a work of fiction where he imagined... Um, the strategies of the demonic. And so he was writing as Uncle Screwtape, uh, this older demon to a younger demon in training who was uh, working to destroy a man's life. And uh, Lewis said that it, was very, it was a very popular book, and um, I think it was his most popular, but he said that it was the most horrible experience of his life. Uh, he said that the, the experience of getting into the mind of the enemy gave him, quote, a spiritual cramp. It's exhausting work. I'm not going to pretend that the series that we're about to do is easy, right? I don't, I don't necessarily every week want to think about the lies. Identifying them is hard work. There's a kind of mindset that can be difficult, but it's so necessary. We ignore it at our peril. Lewis said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which we can fall when we're talking about the devils. One is to feel this excessive and unhealthy interest in them, and then the other is to disbelieve their existence altogether. Or we might also say to, think of, to caricature them into something that's not really a threat, right? When I mention it, what comes to your mind? Like some, uh, a trident, right? Some red guy with a trident, kind of like the Chicago Bulls emblem, right? Um, sorry, all you Jordan fans. Uh, like, it's, we think of this caricature, and we think that this can't possibly be a real thing. It's a, it's a figment of our imagination. It's not real. 
That's precisely what he would like you to believe. But our aim this morning is to avoid both of these errors. We're out to expose the devil's lies and then suck him out of the basements of our lives because we actually have the secret weapon. Here's why we're doing this in Easter, okay? The secret weapon is a risen Christ. So we don't live in a duality between good and evil. We're not manichees, right? Where uh, you have the, the good force and then the equal and opposite bad force. And then we are kind of caught in limbo between the two. That's not how it is. Satan is a vanquished enemy, a defeated enemy, right? He's, he's roaming about the world. He's causing chaos and destruction, but his end is sure. He's been defeated by the singular event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We talked about that last week. So my prayer for this series is that the devil and his stupid, pesky works would be rooted out of our lives, that we'd be able to take uh, the secret weapon to the dark corners, and that we would experience freedom and safety in this congregation in the only place that we can actually find it. Uh, And I want Satan to be horrified by what happens in this church. That's what I'm really praying for. So uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke 4, Luke chapter 4. Our gospel reading this morning, we see and hear more from Satan uh, than anywhere else in the whole Bible. That's why we're focusing so much on it. Uh, Jesus is alone in the wilderness. He's being tempted by the devil. And I want to note that this was not a public event that a bunch of people saw. Uh, if If it were up to the devil, you wouldn't know the first thing about him. You wouldn't know the lies. Lies only have power so long as you don't know that they're lies. He has a vested interest in secrecy. He hates the light. So uh, how is it then, I want to ask, that we have this account? How do we get it? It wasn't a public event. There's only two characters here, at least we think. Um, And uh, one of the parties is really not interested in sharing. So how do you think we got this? We have it because Jesus thought that this was fit to share with his disciples and with you and with me. Because we need to know the lies so we can arm ourselves against them. Right? Uh, What we're going to be going over in this series is not common sense wisdom. We don't preach common sense wisdom up here. The moment we start preaching common sense wisdom, you need to go to another church. We're stewards together as a community of revelation, right? This is something that was given to us by Jesus himself. We are, this is not, and I, I credit Alex for this insight earlier um, this week, but it, it, it dawned on, me, on us that uh, it's, it's not like we can sort of like uh, develop some sort of expertise on the ways of Satan and then bestow it upon all of you. The only way that we know anything is because Jesus said, here's his hand. I'm going to show him to you. So you can know. So in the coming weeks, we're going to trace different threads out of this text. uh, And we're going to go across the whole Bible, really, with it. And uh, think of this as your defense against the dark arts class, for all of you Harry Potter fans. Anybody? Anybody? You're like, Harry Potter's demonic. No, he's not. Um, This morning, I want to draw your attention to the lie, though, that underlies the lies. 
I want to draw your attention to the lie that underlies the lies. We're going to be going, looking at this sort of from the 10,000 foot view, right? Um, and we find this underlying lie in everything that the devil utters to Jesus. And it goes something like this. You should let me educate you. You should let me educate you. And by the way, in my experience, uh, I, not the Lord, uh, as one who's sadly been duped a lot by the devil, uh, the devil likes to suggest this to us, too. You should let me educate you. Let me be the one who fills your mind with ideas and questions and things to think about. Let me dictate the narrative. So notice the three temptations. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. If you will only worship me, I'll give you all authority over the kingdoms of the earth. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from the top of the temple. Prove it. So the devil doesn't come right out and say, hey, Jesus, you're not the son of God. You have no authority. God will not take care of you. He doesn't do that. That would overplay his hand. He just generally stays away from making statements. He doesn't say anything affirmative because he has nothing affirmative to say. He seems to prefer questions. Are you sure that you're the son of God? Are you sure that you have authority? Are you sure that your father will actually take care of you? Remember, this is the tack that he took in Genesis 3 with Eve. Did God actually say you will not eat, you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? Do you see the little twist there? But it's a question. The devil likes to educate by sowing needless doubts and asking stupid questions. He asks stupid questions. I want to say that this is a really delicate thing to say from the pulpit. Uh, because if there's one of the things that we really want to encourage in this church is a culture uh, of honesty and honest questions where we bring the things that we're thinking out to the fore, right? We don't bury it. So this needs to be a place where we feel safe to express doubts in this congregation. Uh, because the devil loves dark corners. He wants us to keep our thoughts and what's really going on uh, hidden, hidden away in shame and fear. So I can't, count, I can't tell you how many times um, I've shared kind of the chaotic mess in my own head with uh, a trusted friend, and they look at me and say, yeah, Ben, that's a lie that you're believing. That's a lie. We need other believers to identify the lies. So let's not be a place that shoves the things down thinking, oh, people are going to think I'm asking a stupid question. They're going to think this is a stupid doubt or that I don't have faith. No, bring it to the forefront. None of us have enough faith. None of us. Let's just acknowledge that and move on. But I want to ask this, how do we combat the lies? How do we identify the devil's lies? And the short answer is, watch how Jesus does it. Jesus employs two weapons in this duel with the devil. Two weapons, and they are not ordinary weapons. They're not common sense. They are extraordinary weapons, and yet they are available to each and every one of us. The first is the scriptures, and the second is the spirit of God. The scriptures and the spirit of God. I want to say something about each of these. Uh, first, notice how Jesus responds to the devil's questions. 
devil says, hey, turn these stones to bread. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. Man does not live by bread alone, but by man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil says, hey, hey, Jesus, I'll give you all authority if you'll only worship me. And Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy 6.13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods. Then the devil says, throw yourself down from the top of the temple. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Did anyone notice a pattern? Where's Jesus quoting from? Go ahead, call it out. The Old Testament, okay, but narrowing it down more, the book of Deuteronomy, that's in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, um, and even narrowing it down more than that, Deuteronomy 6, 13 through 8, 3. Like a chapter or two of Deuteronomy. That's interesting. Um, this is the small chunk of Deuteronomy of the Bible where we find God's law given to Israel while they are wandering in the wilderness. What is Jesus doing? He's wandering in the wilderness. And so who, what's he reflecting on? God's instructions to people who are wandering in the wilderness. So the crucial point here is not that Jesus is an ace of random Bible knowledge. I think that's how I always grew up reading this text. Like, I need to know everything now. And then the devil enters in a little lie. You don't know enough. You don't have a chance. You may look at the, this account and think, I don't know the Bible like that. I'm a new Christian. Or maybe I've been at it for years, but I haven't studied the scriptures as I ought. Okay, I don't have this encyclopedic knowledge. But that's beside the point. Start where you are now. What are you reading right now? What did you hear in church last Sunday? What are you reflecting on? What sermons have been going through your mind? What's, what are you meditating and chewing on? What are you living out of? That's what God will use. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. You don't have to know everything. Just be living out of what he's given us. That's what Jesus was doing. He was meditating on Deuteronomy when the devil came. So guess what he used to fight the devil? Deuteronomy. And Jesus shows us here how we're to use the Bible. We're to actually live out of it. And then employ it faithfully. And then the devil shows us how not to use the Bible. I see this all the time, but I think it's funny seeing that, that the devil uses it this way. Uh, he's a crafty little turd. Um, he sees that Jesus is quoting from the Bible, so he's like, I'm going to quote from the Bible too. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, Psalm 91.11, he will command his angels concerning you. What we see is not two equal and opposite views of the scripture. They're two radically different understandings of what the Bible is and what it is for. You have one who is living out of the scriptures, connecting his situation to God's word, uh, letting it bear fresh fruit in his life and context, and things start connecting, right? That's how he's able to, that's how he's able to rebuke the devil. And Satan, on the other hand, just like, has some random thing and he bakes up some random crackpot idea out of Psalm 91.11 and tries to trip him up. One is using the Bible as a lifeline. The other is using the Bible as a club. 
I don't know if you've ever found the, seen the Bible used as a club before. It's been done a lot. The Bible might be the most abused book in all of human history. People have used it often and the authority of it as a club to hit others over the head with. They're misusing the scripture. If you've been hurt by that, I'm sorry. That's not a, that's not a, a reason to avoid the scripture itself. Just because something has been misused, that doesn't mean that it is not valuable. Wait until you see how it's actually supposed to be used. Friends, God has given us a lifeline. We have, we have revelation. We're not left to wander and grope about in the darkness by ourselves. Uh, it, it says that Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We actually are not alone because we have the word of God with us. We're not unarmed. We have the armor, the sword. You're actually equipped to fight the devil. You. But let's just pretend, for the sake of argument, that you are really stumped. You're caught in a web of lies, as we all so often are. You can't see up from down, and you're trying to remember the scriptures, but your mind just seems close to it. Um, or maybe you want to get in the scriptures, but for some reason there's some kind of block there and you just can't do it. I've been there. What then? Um, do you feel, is it, what did God just hand you a book and say, here you go, pat you on the back, go get him, slugger. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for this archaic book full of things that I don't understand. What am I supposed to do with this? Is that what he did? Are we so under-equipped to fight the enemy? I think we can learn from Jesus here, too. I want to start by asking this question. How many people are in this story? Two, right? Jesus and the devil. Oh, wait, there's, but there's, well, Jesus has the scriptures, and that's the word of his father, right? So in a sense, and Jesus says, uh, I do whatever I see my father doing. So the father is clearly present in this situation. So three, right? Oh, but the Holy Spirit's not going to miss out on a party that the rest of the Trinity's in on, right? Uh, so look with me at verse 1. There's another. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. He's not alone. Jesus is filled with the Spirit of God. He's following the Spirit of God. The whole Trinity is out there on this grand perichoretic camping trip. And the, that was a joke for me, by the way. Uh, I enjoyed it, but it's whatever. Um, it's easy to get this notion that Jesus is just flying solo all the time. He just like uh, has all this wisdom so he can be like this solo American style John Wayne hero who knows how to fight the devil by himself. And that what we do is we read the Bible and we come to church so that we can get the wisdom to go out there and fight the devil solo too. It doesn't work that way. If you're in Christ, you don't have to fight the devil by standing on your own two feet. You can't fight the devil by standing on your own two feet. 
He's smarter than you. We have an advocate who's always with, it, with you. So on the night before he went to the cross to give his life for the sins of the world, this is what Jesus said to his follow, followers. John 14. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So how, does, how, does script, how do we bring the scriptures that are in our, in our minds uh, to play when we're at, in combat against lies? The answer is we don't. The Holy Spirit does. If you know Christ, then you are in Christ. He's incorporated you into his very self and filled you with his spirit as a sign and a seal of your inheritance. And that spirit isn't some passive thing, but actually an active guide leading you every step of the way. So God has not left you ill-equipped. He's not left you alone. Romans 8.26 declares that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And sometimes when you are so broken down, when you are so lost and helpless and confused that you don't know where to turn, this is what he does. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Look at the weapons that we have. We need not be prey and victim to the lies. We can be people who walk in the light and walk in the truth. We're not alone in this. So friends, let's not be afraid, but let's have the courage to take the secret weapon and shine the light. Amen.